Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. And welcome to Modern Widow Podcast, Episode 19. We are still in our series, Widowhood 101, and this episode is called Eating for a Long and Healthy Life. We have invited Jean Kincaid, a dietitian from McLaren Northern Michigan Hospital, to be our guest today. But before we introduce Jean, our special guest, Fran, you know what time it is. It's time for Weekend Shenanigans, Notable Events. Why don't you go first? Okay. couple notable events, as far as I'm concerned. I live in a beautiful uh, condominium uh, complex right on Lake Michigan. Mother's Day weekend every year marks the opening of our uh, pool and our hot tub. Um, so this weekend, I was actually the last one in the hot tub last season, and I was the first one in this season which is kind of cool. It marks the official start uh, to our summer season here um, in, in Southwest Michigan. And I'm, I'm looking forward just to some warmth, which is still going to be a few days away. Um, I just, I want to get some color on my skin. And summer is my time to read. I will read constantly all summer long. Yesterday, Mother's Day, I actually uh, got one of my home projects done. I have been wanting a new tile floor in my master bathroom. And that got done yesterday. I'm lucky to know a great guy who knows how to do pretty much everything like that. And actually, he's going to be our guest in a few weeks uh, for the episode on the importance of home and vehicle maintenance, um, just things that we need to remember to do. And the last notable event is I am getting ready for just some surgery tomorrow. It's nothing major. I have some hardware left in my knee from a few years ago. Um, after a bike accident. So I am having that removed tomorrow. So in other words, Cher, tomorrow I'm getting unscrewed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good one, Fran. I love it. What's your notable event? Well, before I start mine, happy Mother's Day. Oh, you too. Yeah. So yesterday was Mother's Day and I had a very nice weekend. So happy Mother's Day to you and to all of our female listeners. Yes. Yes. Because even if they aren't a mother, they had a mother or they do have a mother. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And good luck tomorrow. I know everything will go well for your surgery. Thanks. I don't, I don't expect it to be you know, real, real complicated. So good. Well, I did have a weekend shenanigan notable event. I had company up this last weekend, some very good friends of mine came to visit. And for the very first time, I went to a cannabis store. Sherry Kitchen. I know it was big. (laughs) (laughs) It was huge, a huge step for me. Now, the store, well, the store has only been open a less than a year. It was a very new experience for me. Now, marijuana became legal in Michigan for medical use in 2008, and it became legal for adult recreational use in 2019. So the store isn't even a year old. And this is what happened. You pull into the parking lot, get out of your car, and there are two guards at the door to let you in. And you don't go into the store. You go into a waiting room. And in the waiting room, a staff member asks you to present your ID. And they take a copy of it. Then you don't just walk into the store. An employee lets you in 
and accompanies you. And since I had never been in a cannabis store before, we received a tour and he talked about all the products that they have and what their use is for. And so that was very interesting. And then Hmm. when you, yes, yeah, that was interesting. And then when you pick up your product, you go to another area of the store and it actually looks like the part of a, of a regular pharmacy where the pharmacists are working and getting your prescription ready. Okay. So that was very interesting to me. So we had the tour. My friend did buy some products and then we left and it was just a very unique experience. So this is what I have discovered, Fran. 2021 is huge for me with new experiences. We started the podcast in 2021. I started using an ATM in 2021. Oh, oh, how could we forget that? (laughs) Yes. And now I have actually visited a cannabis store. So, well, my my question to you is, do you think, will you go again? Will you go back? I don't think so. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) It was a good experience, but no, not my cup of tea. Okay. I can't wait to see what else is going to happen in 2021 because there are all sorts of new experiences out there. We want to welcome Jean Kincaid, dietitian from McLaren Northern Michigan Hospital in Petoskey, Michigan, on our show today. Jean has over 30 years experience as a dietitian providing medical nutrition therapy and diabetes education. Her strength is in empowering individuals to make a behavioral changes to support health. She was certified as a diabetes educator in 1990, and she has maintained interest and knowledge in the areas of diabetes with a desire to incorporate this knowledge in each position that she has held. Jean has been the outpatient diabetes educator for McLaren Northern Michigan, Petoskey, Michigan, from 2015 to present. She also worked at Christ Hospital, Cincinnati, Ohio Program Manager, Diabetes Education Services. She worked at Mercy Hospital Claremont in Ohio as a clinical dietitian. She also worked at Mercy Health Partners Southwest Ohio as an outpatient diabetes program coordinator and at Mercy Hospital Anderson in Cincinnati, Ohio as outpatient dietitian. Jean's education, she has a bachelor's of science degree from James Madison University and dietetic internship, University of Cincinnati Medical Center, Cincinnati, Ohio. Jean, welcome to Modern Widow Podcast. Well, thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to both of you and everyone else this morning. Yeah, I've been a dietitian for a long time, Um, so hopefully I can share some uh, good information with you all today. Yes, welcome, Jean. Thank you. Well, before we start talking about diet and how to keep your weight off, especially when you are a mature adult. Jean, why don't you start off with telling us the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? Okay. Um, I would say that a dietitian is a nutritionist, but a nutritionist 
not, is not necessarily a dietitian. So the term is actually a registered dietitian. And in order to hold those credentials, um, as you saw from my resume, you need a bachelor's degree that covers the course content um, of dietetics. After the bachelor's degree, you need an internship or um, postgraduate experience. And these two items qualify you to sit for a uh, national board exam to earn the credentials registered dietitian. So we like to call ourselves the nutrition experts. Um, but on the other hand, a nutritionist, um, that title is not regulated or defined. So essentially, anyone with an interest in nutrition and some maybe research or background into information could classify themselves as a nutritionist, which isn't necessarily wrong or bad. But if someone's searching for um, help with nutrition, I would recommend that they make sure that they're, um, the person they're going to see is qualified. And so the, the title of registered dietitian would ensure that qualification. So, Jean, is there a difference in philosophy, uh, the, the philosophy or treatment that a dietitian versus a nutritionist uh, would offer? I would say that a registered dietitian is always going to give advice that has clinical background guidance. They will not give advice that could be harmful, where if someone has just learned about some sort of nutritional treatment and they think it's really good, but they don't really have that clinical background, they might be providing incorrect ad advice to someone. So it's okay. not a difference in philosophy. It's just the credentials say that that nutrition therapy that is being given has uh, clinical evidence to, to be given to the person. Okay. Well, you know, the, the title of this episode is Eating for a Long and Healthy Life. And Sherry, I, I know that you've been doing some reading that you stumbled on on a book Tell us about the book and what what your thoughts were after reading it. Sure. Well, the book is called The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss by Dr. Jason Fung. And I just want to read the executive summary because I found it discouraging. Hmm. If you have been going about cutting caloric food intakes and ramping up your exercise regimen in order to make a sizable dent in the weight loss department, take heart, you're not alone. There are many others who feel the same way you do and really put in loads of effort to exercise more and eat less, all for the sake of trimming down the unhealthy excess weight. Unfortunately, they do not work. Yep, you heard it correctly. <laughs> Exercise has been touted as your pathway to being slim, trim, and fit. Does not, in reality, hold that much immediate control over the weight loss department. That isn't to say that physical activity and exercise isn't important. It is for other reasons other than healthy weight loss. The idea to create a calories deficit in order to sustainably lose weight also holds little water in actuality. It is true that many folks still subscribe to this theory and really put in much effort in restricting their food consumption. 
Lowering the calorie intake results in some weight loss in the initial stages, but then the weight comes back in a rebound with a vengeance that usually knocks the wind out of many folks striving to get off the obesity wagon. Why are so many still doing this, though, is mainly because the mainstream medical community are still advocating this, quote, eat less, move more idea. So I read the executive summary and I found it so discouraging because that's what I do almost every day. I watch what I eat, I measure it, and I exercise to where I can't exercise anymore or I wouldn't get anything done during the day. So Jean? Yes. Really? I, I, that, that was my next question. I, why, especially for women, Jean, why is it so hard to lose like even three, five, 10 pounds when you're already eating healthy and you're working out? Right. Okay. So I guess I'm going to classify myself as mainstream medical community, but I'm just going to share my thoughts on the idea of, you know, eat less, exercise more, and why it doesn't work or does work. It does work for people. So we, you know, um, our weight is a balance of energy intake and energy expenditure. That's pretty clear. You know, we eat calories um, for our body to burn. And we tend to hit what we call set points where our calorie intake and our energy expenditure are balanced. And so we don't see our weight change. Um, when we make that calorie deficit, um, our body has to provide a you know, stored energy to meet the missing calories that we aren't consuming. And so we see ourselves lose weight. But then when our body is giving up some of its stored energy for a period of time, it kind of says, oh, wait a minute here, I'm going to run out of stored energy if I keep on this pace. And so our body adjusts to um, the new balance by changing metabolism. And then we kind of get stuck at another set point. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I, so what you're saying is, you know, we have to keep moving that set point. Yes. But yes. What, how like, do we what, do it? Right. How, how do we do that? What, what's right. the happy balance? I yeah. were cutting down, cutting out, depriving yourself, moderation. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, the body has naturally started to conserve energy or slow its metabolism or burning process to, to balance again. And so um, additional exercise can kind of spark that to happen, you know, for your body to burn more energy again. Sherry said she exercises every day a lot and really doesn't have more time for exercise. And so, you know, I think we could kind of start getting worried or concerned about, oh my goodness, am I going to have to be exercising eight hours a day in order to reach my weight goal? And I guess for some, yeah, um, that might, might be true. I think we have challenges right now because many of the activities that would burn energy um, are no longer um, performed because our lifestyle is so efficient. I'm sure you all remember your mom hanging clothes out on the line. She was getting her 
chores done, but she was exercising at the same time. Um, moving laundry from the washing machine into the dryer is not going to burn as many calories. So when we're trying to exercise more, burn more calories, you might focus on being less efficient in some of, some of your chores um, that could possibly burn more calories for you. Is that a a new idea to you all or, or, uh, well, that. I, I, I think what you're saying is, I mean, in, in the past, because of the lifestyle, you're right. You were getting that type of cardio and, and exercise. And, but now because of our lifestyle, it has to be more of a deliberate. Exactly. Exercise. Yes. Exactly. The book that Sherry referred to, um, of course, any introduction is going to be a attention getter or, you know, make you want to turn the page and, and read more. And so um, his his comments, I feel, were really strong, really strong. And I agree that many, many people are not successful with weight loss as hard as they truly try. He goes on to talk about intermittent fasting as a, as a treatment, which um, has been studied quite a bit and has had some excellent outcomes. And so he's just sharing perhaps this new approach for, for people to try. I guess from my standpoint, from all my years of experience, the first thing I say to myself when I meet someone is everybody is individual. The same diet does not work or the same eating habits do not work for everybody across the board. So we just have to kind of delve into what is possible, what does work, what are the extremes that we could look at first to try and, you know, start changing um, eating habits to, to promote health. And carrying a healthy weight is part of promoting health. But many people might carry extra weight, but still be eating for health, eating correctly, exercising correctly. And um, we have to give ourselves credit for that as well. Um, the scale is not the only way to measure um, healthy eating or successful weight control. Jean. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about insulin resistance and also cortisol problems. And maybe this happens as you get older. I do know that your metabolism slows down uh -huh. as you get older. And let's c talk about those items. What does a insulin resistance mean, first of all? Okay. Um, so insulin is a hormone that your body makes. It's made in the pancreas. Um, and it is the hormone that helps move energy in the form of glucose from your bloodstream into your cells. Um, so it's the, it's the key that unlocks the door to let the energy get into your cells. Many people genetically inherit the tendency towards insulin resistance. It, it's built into our, our genetics. Um, but as we age, when our activity, activity level declines, or when we put on additional weight, um, these factors make this insulin resistance show up. And what insulin resistance is, is the cells 
are resistant to the insulin from attaching and allowing the glucose to go in. So it doesn't keep the insulin from doing its work. It's just not as efficient as it should be. And so the body says, oh my goodness, I'm not moving the energy into the cells. Let me release more insulin to get the job done. More is better. And so people with insulin resistance tend to be uh, have higher insulin levels in their bloodstream. This can um, be part of the condition, the metabolic syndrome, where um, high blood pressure, high uh, lipids, and high blood sugar kind of all start showing up. And it's it's kind of um, on the cellular level. And I'm not going to go into any more detail on that because it's really complicated. Um, but the bottom line is insulin resistance can show up as we age, not as active or carrying extra weight or all three. And this can lead to um, prediabetes and diabetes and uh, uh, more insulin in the body um, kind of can trigger appetite, which can trigger weight gain. Um, so it's kind of a, a vicious cycle. So the uh, CDC, Center for Disease Control, has um, a program that has been well-established, lots of clinical research on it to prevent type 2 diabetes. And their guidelines are to lose 5 to 7% of your weight and to be physically active 150 minutes a week. And those two guidelines, when followed in um, a large group, and I don't have the number of people, showed to prevent diabetes by 58%. So that's more than half the people were successful with some weight loss and keeping that weight off, weight loss off through diet and exercise. So that's where I'm kind of saying, okay, I'm still mainstream because I got this great um, <laughs> research that says it does work. So, so Jean, like, do you think that that is a general factor, like for the general public, or is insulin resistance basically uh, limited to those people that are predisposed to prediabetes and diabetes? I mean, is um, insulin resistance in general a, a factor for why uh, I, the common person just can't get some of that weight off? I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say that the incidence of prediabetes is totally out of control. It's just occurring at rapid rates. Um, so I'm going to go out on it, the edge here and say, yeah, I think any person should be concerned about insulin resistance and prediabetes just because we see that it's showing up so frequently in people. And it's very healthy guidelines to follow. So why not? You know, I just think it's a good thing. Just like um, the American Heart Association kind of guides us to pick healthy fats, um, not to smoke. I mean, it's they're just healthy guidelines that cannot hurt. Um, but right. once again, common sense. Common sense. Yeah, but focusing on an individual weight loss set of habits um, could go further than that for sure. But baseline, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, I and I think Sherry's other question was um, because we have we have heard a lot about it in in general conversations, cortisol and 
and how that like stress and cortisol and how that actually contributes to your body being resistant to, to losing um, some of those pounds. Yeah. So <clears throat> cortisol is another hormone produced by the body and it is what we call the stress hormone. So when um, a person is faced with stress, the body uh, reacts by releasing cortisol that frees up stored energy. So the person has energy to fight the stress. So, you know, back in the caveman days, it was the fight or flight syndrome where that <clears throat> person needed a lot of energy to either fight the stress or run away really fast from the stress. So if we fast forward to today, we are still faced with stress, but a lot of times the stress, um, we don't respond to it by physically moving. And so the cortisol releases that stored glucose and now it needs to be used up and it's not used up. So um, that produces uh, the rise of glucose produces, turns on insulin, insulin moves glucose into the cells. And one of the places that we move glucose or energy into is our fat cells. Our, all of our cells of the body need energy and the fat cells in our abdomen um, are really um, um, open to storage. And so um, cortisol, high cortisol levels related to stress have kind of been linked to, um, you know, gaining weight around the middle. Um, not to say that someone with low cortisol levels wouldn't gain weight in the abdominal area, those, those fat cells just like to, to store energy. So that's why we see weight gain around um, our middle. So it's, it's, it's almost like a vicious circle. <laughs> it is. It, well, it can be. Yes. So, you know, do we address stress? Well, yeah, that's really healthy too. Lots of ways to re reduce stress is through exercise or meditation, yoga, um, one of my favorite recommendations to people who are trying to lose weight is um, you need to sleep more. So, you know, everyone's like, what? <laughs> We're talking exercise and now you're telling me to sleep more. But cortisol levels kind of are cyclic. The majority is released in the morning. And then as we're sleeping, those cortisol levels really decline. And so if you don't give your body enough time to reset, that may be raising your cortisol levels as well. Getting enough sleep and everybody's different, but the general guideline, you know, is seven to nine hours a night could actually be beneficial for weight loss. Well, it's because you know, I, when you were talking about like the, the stress issues, again, the vicious circle, when a lot of people get stressed out, they turn to, you know, stress eating. Yes. Um, good point. Excellent. So when we're stressed, um, sometimes we turn to comfort foods. Sometimes the raise in cortisol from the stress increases the insulin level that then increases our appetite and, you know, another vicious cycle. So certainly when we're stressed, we also like to turn to what we call comfort foods. And I'm sure you both are nodding your heads, um, you know, something like uh, nice macaroni 
and cheese or, um, you know, a, a nice uh, sweet roll or something to that effect. Because we know carbohydrates can release certain hormones that make us feel better as well. So stress can lead to stress eating, which then can be the wrong foods, higher in calories and add to that vicious cycle. So I keep pointing out kind of all the negatives and I, I kind of want to repeat or go back to you know, reset and certainly eat healthy foods, focus on healthy foods, um, focus on port portion sizes. Sometimes under stress, we don't realize the quantity that we're eating. And so being more mindful or paying attention to portion sizes could be a, a, a good healthy focus to, to start with as well. Can we go back just a, a bit? I was, I was glad that you brought up the whole aspect of intermittent fasting. Uh -huh. um, I know I know there's different approaches, uh, like every other day, so many hours a day. Uh, I know that there's different approaches. Uh, like, what what are your thoughts? Is is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What what are the different approaches? Okay, good. Um, so, as I said before, intermittent fasting has become um, you know popular. There has been a lot of research on intermittent fasting. Quite a bit of it is in animal models. Um, we don't really have long-term or lifetime results in humans, just because it hasn't been studied that long. Um, but what intermittent fasting is showing is that it lowers oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. And, and oxidative stress, um, to, it, it's very complicated, but just to me, the easiest way to help someone think about it is think about rust on metal. That's oxi oxidation. So if okay. we have rust, and we don't have rust going in our bodies, but just that concept of if we have this oxidation going on in our body, that increases inflammation. Inflammation is, you know, a flare up in, in our joints or, or in other areas of our body that can lead to chronic diseases or be part of a chronic disease like heart disease. Um, so intermittent fasting has been shown to lower these levels. As you said, there's, there's different ways to, to fast. Um, one is the five days a week eat normally, um, but two days a week don't eat, um, not two days in a row, but two out of five days fast. Um, and when, we take, when they talk about fast, it's certainly consuming the amount of non-calorie liquid or water that you need every day. You would not avoid hydration. You would just avoid calories. Sometimes that day of fast allows 500 calories, um, but not a total calorie intake. Another way to intermittent fast is to only eat during a certain time period of the day. And the ratio that has been studied or recommended is um, eat in an eight hour time frame and don't eat for 16 hours. So like uh, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. consume energy, but after 3 p.m. just consume water, non-calorie liquids. Um, mm -hmm. This fasting 
allows the body to reset. Just kind of like we've talked about sleeping and cortisol. It's sort of that it's not the same, but the same idea that, oh, we are feeding ourselves and then we're letting our body reset or utilize that energy and be prepared to, to take on energy again. So it has had lots of good results. But as I said before, everyone's um, individual. And for some people, it's just not realistic. A family, one person in the family only eating at this time of the day and the rest of the family eating at other times, things like that. Some people, and I would classify myself as one of these, if I haven't given myself enough energy, I my ability to be clear and think clearly, my level of irritability, <laughs> my level of energy declines because my body's so ingrained to eating regularly, I would be miserable doing that. Mm. What I've read, and this isn't good news, is that it might take a whole month of feeling this way before your body adjusts to intermittent fasting. Wow. Somebody might not have those feelings and do great with intermittent fasting, but we can't across the board say, oh yeah, let's everyone do this. Right. So it's it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. And if well, no. people are feeling frustrated and stuck, it might be one. It might be one thing to try to, to jumpstart, uh, you know, your systems, jumpstart a little bit of weight loss. So I'm thinking that if people are stuck and frustrated, it might not be a bad idea to seek out the the counsel of a dietitian. Am I am I correct? Right. I was just gonna say it it might be worth trying it, um, but you would want to clear with your physician or talk to a nutrition expert to make sure it would be safe for you. Um, as, as you know, I'm specialized in diabetes, there are many medications used to treat diabetes that need to be balanced with food. And so we would have to be very careful if someone wanted to try intermittent fasting, if they were on medications that purposely are balancing their blood sugar with food, um, you know, yeah. it could be dangerous. So yes, trying it, it I'm not saying it, it's a, a fad or a bad thing at all. I'm just saying uh, we need to be careful if we do use it. And you need to listen to your body as well. Well, Cher, um, has any, has this helped at all with, with feeling more encouraged? <laughs> I'm not, not yet. for, yeah, I'm not for sure. Okay. <laughs> so, um, because, because, you know, I, well, I went, um, have you heard of Noom, N-O-O-M? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I've been doing that maybe for six months and I haven't gained any weight, but I haven't lost as much as what I was hoping for in six months. And I know that we get impatient, but yes. I just keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's not like I have a lot to lose. You know, I just like to lose maybe 15 more pounds. Once again, when our when our weight loss goal is kind of small, you are closer to that energy balance. Um, when you're even when you're just maintaining your weight, you are close or at that set point. So some folks who have never paid attention to the what they eat or drink, and they're just consuming, in, you know, 
a humongously large amount of calories, they learn, oh, every can of pop has 150 calories in it and I'm drinking five a day. And if I just stop that, um, that's going to be a calorie deficit. And sure enough, it works. Um, but when you're at close to that set point, the changes can't be that dramatic and the outcomes cannot be um, you know, quick or rewarding as well. So you just have to keep focused and on, on that straight path and gradual weight change um, is absolutely perfect or very, very, very good. So don't be impatient. Sometimes if you aren't getting any further with what you're doing, then doing something different obviously could help that. Sometimes I help people by saying, well, in Noom, you're asked to record what you eat, correct? Yes. And I do that religiously because okay. I like to, I like lists and I like writing things down. So that's Good. not hard for me to do. Good. Have you ever checked your accuracy of what you're recording? Meaning when you put down that you had three fourths of a cup of cereal, have you like recently double check that the amount of cereal you're putting in your bowl is three fourths of a cup. Yes, I, I try to measure. Okay, and, good. very good. And you, you do have to keep measuring a constant yeah. because you know, they'll say all oh, three ounces of meat or something is is the size of your fist. Yeah, well, my fist keeps getting bigger. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Human, human nature and our, our estimating um, abilities tend to grow over time. So yes. it's always good to go back and double check your portions. Always. You know. yes. um, it's always good to go back and double check the labels. Well, yeah, I've always been recording this yogurt to be 150 calories. And I bought a different brand of yogurt. And now it's, you know, 200. And I didn't change that, you know, so right. it's always good to be on top of, of what you're you're recording. And then right. your, your level of activity, are you measuring that or is it just a kind of your routine or? Well, I have a Apple watch, which yeah. mm -hmm. records, you know, the exercise every day. Uh -huh. And I do religiously exercise every day. It's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> well, and I know that exercising, it's not all about weight loss. It's also about having a healthy heart and right. muscles and it, balance. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Jean, do you think, um, you know, because like Sherry and I agree, uh, it's, it's not that we have huge weight loss goals. I think it's just, you know, by the time you reach our age, you realize that you spent half your life not being happy, like with, with your body, with your, with your weight. I mean, do you think at some point we just have to tell ourselves, you know, I, I know I'd like to lose like three pounds, five pounds, 10 pounds. At some point, do we just have to be happy with ourselves and, and eat and know that we need to eat healthy and yeah. know that we need to keep active and know that, you know, when our clothes begin to feel a little bit tight, then, you know, cut out that extra glass of wine every day, um, cut out some of the mashed potatoes every once in a while. But, but see, I, you know, life is about more than depriving yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm all and not self, you know, deprivation. 
Um, I agree with that 100%. You know, as we age, our body slows down. Uh, You would agree with me that, you know, we aren't as energetic as we were when we were 20. And we can prove that by trying to take care of our grandchildren. It's like, oh, my goodness, how did I ever do this before? But um, part of aging is that our metabolism just slows. So as much as we think that, you know, in our retirement years, we've earned the right to take it easy, it's really the exact opposite. (laughs) And that um, in order to maintain that amount of energy to burn, we have to be more active. And so it's fabulous that you are active. It's fabulous that you're maintaining your weight. I think the challenge to lose weight as we get older, uh, especially when our, our set point is pretty close to, you know, a healthy or a desired weight, that we shouldn't make it that, that impossible goal. I think moderation is the key to enjoying all foods, but being healthy at the same time. So I think portion sizes on labels is fabulous information because, you know, are we going to feel guilty having um, ice cream? Well, if we look on the label and it says it's a half a cup of ice cream and we have a half a cup occasionally, I don't think we should feel guilty about that. That's not, you know, a bad thing. On the other hand, water is the nutrient that our body needs for hydration. So there's no need to be using beverages that have extra calories in them. If a beverage that you know, it's just flavored and colored and bubbly um, is is not providing any additional nutrition than just the water it was made from. So uh, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but I just think we have to be mindful. But moderation is mm-hmm. is perfect. So Sherry, I think the bottom line is we, we have to remember not to beat ourselves up. <laughs> Don't beat yourselves up. Yeah, you need to congratulate yourself on your daily exercise. That is Fabulous, fabulous. Um, in in the um, the CDC prevent type two diabetes program, the first goal or the first behavior is that 150 minutes of exercise. The second goal is weight loss because we know that exercise is just so important for our bodies, and our lifestyles are not contributing in general to additional exercise anymore. So Jean, this was so valuable. Oh, good. (laughs) It was. And I know that our listeners will really appreciate this podcast because your information was excellent. So thank thank you you so much for being on our show. Um, it was a pleasure. And I do agree that um, trying something new would be fabulous. Why not? But make sure that, um, you know, you have the medical okay, or the, you know, approval before you try doing that intermittent fasting as well. So, okay. but thanks so much for inviting me to, to talk with you all today. Yes, thank you. Okay, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We want to thank our executive producer for her continued expert advice and critiques of our podcast. Many thanks to Park North Studios for mixing our audio. And a very special thanks to our guest this week, Jean Kincaid, dietitian, has so informative and beneficial to our audience. 
And of course, we want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in every week and listening. If you would like to write a comment, our email address is modern.whittle.podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's modern.whittle.podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to our podcast on the following apps, Anchor, Spotify, Breakers, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Google Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. And next week, our friend Layla Topal returns, this time as our travel guide. And she'll be speaking on safely traveling as a single. So till next time, remember, the road ahead will always be under construction. So watch out for the potholes. See ya. Bye-bye. Take a trip, cause I know a spot right down on the strip There's a swinging band and the dancing is free If you wanna have fun, come along with me Hey, a good looking What, what, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up? How's about cooking something up? How's about cooking something up? Cause I'm in the mood Cooking something up with me